Get your Bibles open to um, Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to wrap up our series today on Made for More. Let me just quickly mention, uh, next Sunday we're kicking off a short series, it's just a little two-parter, called Unhinged. And here's the premise. How many of you have witnessed that our culture seems to be unraveling at an ever-increasing rate? Um, Things that we would have thought were like totally insane, out of the question, like what are you talking about, are now, in other words, the out of the ordinary, extraordinary, are becoming very normal in our culture today. Um, And I want to spend some time focusing from a worldview perspective on uh, some of the stuff that's happening to bring some clarity and to challenge us in this day and age to have the courage to speak. And I think this message is going to set it up because when we get to the end of Paul's letter here to the Ephesians in Ephesians 6, um, he gives a very important final word. And I want you to read it with me. And it's, it's really an admonition. It's a commandment to get ready for war. Look with me in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Paul says, a final word. And in the Greek, it's more than just a final word. It is... You need, I'm pausing right here to wrap up my whole letter, and what you're hearing next is really, really important. In fact, it's the most important part of this whole epistle, all right? It's, it's, a, it's an admonition to listen very carefully to this important word that Paul's about to give. And here's what he says. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. I say that again, after the battle, you will be standing firm. How many of you know that when God declares to us, we win, he gives us that information to encourage us in the midst of all the little momentary battles that we're going to go through, because life is hard. But I don't know about you, but knowing in advance that we win strengthens me in the immediate battle that I'm going through. You know, it's an incredible thought. Every time I face challenges, every time I try to do anything for righteousness sake, there's always opposition. And it's comforting to me to know that I'm on the winning team. No questions asked. The cross has forever settled that. Now, I don't know about you, but I I, I shared before, you know, for all of us White Sox fans, we did win a World Series in recent years. Actually, before the Cubs, they came second. They won a World Series again, but... How many of you remember those, those World Series? Yeah, okay. I was at my life group. I've told this story before, but we have a lot of new people, and it bears repeating. I was at my life group on the night of the World Series when the, when the, Cubby, or when the Sox were clinching, and I forget what game it was. But anyway, we had our life group that night. So what we did was we used modern technology. We recorded the show. We recorded the game so that when we were done with the Lord's business, we could get on to the carnal business, all right, of cheering on the White Sox later. Our intention was to fast forward through all the commercials and all that kind of stuff. So I ran upstairs to use the bathroom, and my phone rang. And one of you all said to me, can you believe it? Canerco, home run. And I'm like, shh, don't tell me that. It's a surprise. And then this little devilish thing came over me. I have information about the future that nobody else possesses. 
and I started thinking what I would do with that information about the future. So I just want to tell you, as your pastor, I maximize it to the fullest extent, all right? We went back downstairs. We got done with our life group. And even though I was technically living in the past because that had already happened in real time, we were in past time because we were getting ready to turn on the video and try to get caught up to real time. And I just started, you know, the guys were all nervous. We're we're fast-forwarding. The Sox, I believe, were losing at the time. And I said, guys, I don't know what it is. (laughs) But I just feel in my gut that... that, uh, there's a big play coming up. There's a big, there's a big hit coming up. And I'm thinking it's Conurco. I'm just thinking, I'm feeling it's Conurco. <laughs> Everything starts unfolding, and sure enough, it's, it's amazing what you can prophesy when you know the future. <laughs> Paul Conurco comes up with runners on bases. Guys, I don't know what it is, but I'm just feeling it. I'm feeling, oh, Pastor, we hope you're right. Crack! home run. Everybody's going crazy. They turn to me, pastor, you're a prophet. You're a prophet. (laughs) And then I could not lie because I knew lightning would come through into into the basement, strike me dead like Ananias and Sapphira. So I said, I cannot tell a lie. I'm a mortal man just like you. I did not receive this by revelation. I received it by cell phone technology. But I sure had fun with it. You know, it's amazing how peaceful you are when you know what the future holds. It's amazing how fun it is to watch an incredibly anxiety-ridden game when you know somebody's going to hit a home run. It's just a matter of time, and you're going to win. This is the legacy that we've been given. You know, before you get into a war, you need to know the, the, the win, all right? What, what are we after? What are we trying to accomplish? And Paul talked about that right in Ephesians chapter 1. We already, we've already been there. Everything in creation is going to be brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything. So how many of you know, if you, if you know that's where it's going, then you want to get under the lordship of Christ now. Because that's where Jesus said it's all going. And we have already been able to see a picture of the end. In fact, every nation, tribe, tongue, tongue language, we're going to get a chance to experience a little taste of that when we have all these precious people coming in from our, uh, our countries that we work in for the roar. They're going to be coming in in the month of October. We don't want you to miss that. It's going to be a little, little foretaste of heaven. It's going to be amazing. The multi-ethnicity that's going to be here. And in uh, chapter 2, Paul said that we've been called by God and we've been gifted by God, Right? And we've been called to a daring mission. Now let me just say, share with you that because life is war, when we are called to this daring mission to join Jesus, some of you need to have your, your perspective changed because you've been sold a false bill of goods. Some of you got to the altar one day, prayed a prayer, because this is what they said. If you'll come to Jesus, we'll give you a ticket for a cruise on the love boat because that's basically what you just signed up for. It's going to be sweet. No problems, no challenges, no obstacles. It's going to be so sweet. And then you started living the Christian life. And I mean, you know, it's not that we don't have challenges or obstacles. In fact, I want to go back to what Jesus said. This is the Lord Jesus himself prophesying this. I have told you this in John 16, uh, so that all of you might have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's the difference. It's not that we don't go through stuff. It's that we go through stuff with a God who has already overcome the world. That changes everything. It puts everything into perspective. I was recently talking with a buddy of mine whose son uh, just started picking up the game of football. 
It's his first year playing. He doesn't really have that great of a knowledge of the game. He's not really a student of the game. He's not really quite sure what's happening on the field. So Grandpa, when his grandson got done with the first game, Grandpa said, hey, how'd it go? And this little tyke said this, well, you know what? There were people chasing me around and hitting me for no reason. Now, how many of you know I'm rough? If you're going to play football, you better understand that that's the nature of the game. People wearing different colored jerseys will chase you down and hit you for no good reason. It's called football. I remember my father, who was a football coach, yelling at one of his players coming off the field. He missed his block. He said, why didn't you block the guy? He said, I didn't know which guy I was supposed to block. And my dad said this, look for a guy wearing a different color jersey, and hit him! (laughs) Football is not that complicated, all right? But can I just tell you, as soon as you put on Jesus' jersey, you got the fish right there on your chest, Jesus on your back, as soon as you put that fish jersey on, someone is going to try to hit you for no reason. And can I just encourage you, we better figure out what this is about, or you're going to be constantly scratching your head going, how come bad things are trying to happen to me? Can I just give you a little picture? Because the devil hates your guts. And the reason he hates your guts is because you bear the resemblance of your father. And he hates them. You know, we're going to get into this next week. Every single sexual perversion that we're seeing in our culture today is an attack on the glory of God in human beings. We're not attacking people. We're not against people. But listen to me. Every single attack against a human being that's rooted in sexual sin is because the devil hates you and he's trying to twist and pervert uh, people made in the image and likeness of God so that they're ultimately destroyed. Uh, and we need to understand that. Satan hates people's guts. Can we, you know, in church we don't like to use the word hate. We love everybody, right? No. We hate Satan's guts. He is the one being that you don't have to love him because he's your enemy. That's not the enemy God's talking about. God's talking about people that are confused. We hate his guts. And we hate what he does to people. And we hate the abuse, and we hate the twistedness, we hate the perversion. And unless, you know, I, I tell my son before he gets ready, I've told all my sons before they get ready to go out on the football field, will you please get mad now? Don't wait until somebody hits you. Get ready to hit somebody. Football is a sport of aggression. And the more fired up you are before you get on the field, the better. Don't wait till you get your bell rung and go, I didn't appreciate that. Well, no, you don't appreciate that. Why don't you go ring somebody else's bell before they ring yours? That's the object of the game. Do you know what? It's the same in the kingdom of God. Why do you keep waiting, getting your bell rung by the devil before you finally just say, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. And then you put your foot down for your own family, for your own marriage, for your own kids, for your own grandkids, and then you start fighting for somebody else's grandkids. And you start saying, I'm tired of what's going on in the culture, and I'm tired of what's happening to people made in the image and likeness of God. So get your game on. 
If you approach the Christian life like a stroll down the catwalk for a fashion show, instead of a violent collision on a football field, I'm just telling you, you're going to set yourself up for failure and disappointment. What, what is the metaphor that defines your mission? It's important. If you don't have a metaphor of war, this is war, you're going to get your brains beat out, and you're not going to understand why. In fact, I like this. Paul ends this chapter in, in verse 20. We're not going to be there, but this is what he says. I'm in chains now. Why am I in chains? Well, I'm in chains, but guess what? I'm still preaching the message as God's ambassador. Let me tell you why you're in chains, because if you're going to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God in this life, there's going to be opposition. Paul's in jail proving it. He says, so I pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Can can I just say this? Every time you look in Scripture, when God's people are persecuted, for their faith and for speaking the gospel. Do you know they never pray for the persecution to stop? Just pointing this out. They don't pray for opposition to stop. Can I just tell you why? In war, the enemy does not stop until there is complete dominion. Why in the world would we ask God to stop the opposition? That's like throwing up the red flag of, or the white flag of surrender and defeat. Why would we do that? You know what they pray every time? For boldness, for courage, for strength, to keep going, to keep standing, to keep loving when it's hard, to keep committed when it's easy to be uncommitted, to keep moving forward, to never give up. Never once do they ask, Lord, please take this pain away. Please take this trial away. Please take this thing away. They don't do that. Now, please hear me clearly here. That doesn't mean we don't pray against the enemy's attacks. We don't pray against sickness when it comes. It doesn't mean we don't pray against physical pain in our bodies. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, though, when you're on mission, you never ask God to stop the mission so that the opposition will cease. Always move forward in the mission. Always be on, on assignment. You never stop being a soldier until Jesus Christ comes. Can I get an amen on that one? So here's the deal. We're going to talk today, the last in this series, on Made for More. Talked about made to be more, made to go more. We're going to talk today about made to win more. How many of you like to win more, all right? And I believe Paul gives us the secret to winning, winning in life, which is what our promise is. So let's take a look at three secrets for winning. And I'm going to start with verse 10 here, where it says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. The first secret is simply to be strong. And I believe Paul's talking here about winning the inner battle. I want you to notice, too, when when it says, be strong, that's not a word of encouragement. That is a direct commandment from God. How many of you know the Lord's telling you, Andy, be strong, be strong. I love it when, uh, you know, Marion was sharing just the other day at a a ladies' conference, and she was talking to a bunch of women and their daughters, and she was encouraging women to honor their husbands. What a great topic at a women's event, huh? Ladies, come on. And... um, But you made the comment that women are great nurturers, but we need to honor our husbands because husbands are what call the toughness out of their, especially their sons. You know, when my kids call home, Mom, Mom, I'm not feeling well. You need to come pick me up immediately. Marion will get in the car. She'll run there, you know, half naked to pick up the kids because they called. And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, no. Are they bleeding? Do they have projectile vomiting? Not just minor vomiting, projectile vomiting. Um, like, what's going on here? Like, most of the time, it's like, suck it up. We're gonna, we got an hour left. Suck it up. Um, I forgot my lunch. Fasting is a good thing, all right? Um, 
How many appreciate male-female differences, all right? Male-female. Thank God for them. But here's the point. When my, when my sons especially are talking with their mother, they'll say things like, Mom, you know, we love you and we appreciate you, but thank God I had a dad who didn't allow me to manipulate you and to bail me out of every situation I got in through my irresponsibility. Because sometimes we just have to face it. You know, if, you're, if your 30-year-old's calling you up, Mom, Mom, can you bring me some money? I don't have any money for lunch. And they're at work. Parenting failure, all right? Somewhere along the line, they should have figured that lesson out, that you're not going to always be there to bail them out. But this is, this is a, a, an apostolic leader saying to the church, church, be strong. And can I just say that to you today? Be strong. Let's be strong. Let's not cave in. What does it mean to be strong? I love this word. It's a compound word in the Greek. The word en combined with the word dunamis, and you all know what dunamis is in the Greek. That's where we get our word for dynamite. Paul is saying here, and I want you to listen to paraphrase, be infused with an excessive dose of dynamic inner strength and ability. Isn't that good? Be infused with an excessive dose, not a moderate dose, an excessive dose of dynamic inner strength and ability. Here's the point. We need superhuman power for a superhuman mission. And I love it. In the classical Greek, when this word was used, the same word Paul's borrowing here, this word was used in the Greek pantheon of gods to explain when a mortal was infused with power and that mortal became superhuman. Like, how many of you ever heard of Hercules, all right? So the picture here is God wants to take his spirit and infuse us with superhuman power to turn us into superheroes, all right? We got all these superhero movies out today. Well, guess what? God's trying to turn us into superheroes by his power. I also want to challenge us today. This power is found in the Lord. I'm so excited. When we finish up the month of October, just to give you a headline on where we're going, we're going to be spending the holidays focusing on a phrase that is used 153 times in Scripture. It's the phrase, in Christ. What does it mean to be united in Christ? Right here is saying, be strong in the power that's in the Lord. So how do we access this power that is in Jesus Christ? We're going to be unpacking, unpacking that in the next couple of months, but I'm very excited about that. Can I just tell you that part of the thing the enemy attacks uh, and by way of our strength is he attacks our minds and he attacks our identity. Do you remember when Jesus Christ was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness? The very first temptation was a question. It said this, if you are who you say you are, then do such and such. Y'all remember that? If, 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 if. How many of you, has the devil ever attacked you in your mind to question your identity as a son, whether or not you had the power to act and live like Jesus has called you to act or live? He does it all the time. We have got to know on the inside who we are. We have to know the promises of God. We have to know our identity. We have to know our mission. And So I want to suggest to you this morning, we've got to live from the inside out. The battle is the Lord's. He's already won the battle. He's already defeated Satan at the cross. And, and he's telling us now, be strong in the strength that I have already secured for you. I love that passage. We're not going to go there, but where David is strengthened, it says he strengthened himself in the Lord. Here's the way this works. There's so many times in life we get hit by things that overwhelm us. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, and, and your adrenaline gets running on the inside. You find yourself a little bit on edge, man. Everything's on, on alert. And we have these situations that we come across in life. 
at those moments, what's, the battle is raging on the inside of you. What are you going to do? How are you going to think? How are you going to act? How are you going to respond? And David had a chance to just cave into depression, to cave into to, to the overwhelming grief that, the, that he and all of his men were facing. They wanted to stone him. You remember that story. But the Bible says David got away and he strengthened himself in the Lord. I'm looking at some, some men out here that are in between jobs. How many of you know when, when a man is in between jobs, that's one of the most difficult times in a man's life? Because so much of what we do is in creating and providing. It's, it's how God's wired us. And when a man is in between jobs, uh, he can get down. He can get very, very discouraged. I want to encourage you, strengthen yourself in the Lord. When you're, when you're looking at a child that's, that's off in rebellion or, or living a lifestyle that, that, that burdens you and just grieves you, and maybe they've been in that situation for a while, where does the battle first come? It comes in your mind. It comes to overwhelm you, to tell you, because here's what the devil's after. He's out to destroy your faith and to rob you of hope. So what do you do? You start strengthening yourself in the Lord. How do you do that, Pastor? Well, you do it by getting your mind on the greatness of God. You get your mind on the promises of God. You get your mind on the ability of God. And then you remind yourself that you're with God, that Christ is in you, that the Holy Spirit's empowering you. And you tell yourself this right here. Hey, Ron, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Not in my power. I'm feeling like a wimp. In His power. There is a supernatural resource inside of us that we need to learn how to access, but you access it, first of all, through winning the battle in your mind because that's where the enemy is going after you. Strengthen yourself in the Lord. Look at what 1 John 5, 4 says. I love this promise to us. I'm reading from the Amplified Version here. For everyone born of God, how many of you are born of God? You're, you're begotten of God. You're born again, all right? Where are you? Everyone born of God is victorious and overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has conquered and overcome the world. Our continuing, persistent faith in Jesus, the Son of God. Isn't that good? What does God expect from us in able to be able to access supernatural power? One thing, faith. We believe that He is who He said He is, that He's for us, that He loves us, that He's committed to us, that His power is available to us. We simply choose to believe it. All right? So first of all, be strong. Secondly, talking about how to win. Secondly, be prepared. And here we're talking about winning the battle that's without. Look with me at uh, verses 11 and 12. Read along with me. Paul says, put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Can I just share with you, this verse in our secularized, materialistic, naturalistic culture, which mocks anything supernatural. I mean, you know, most people, even in the church, don't believe in a supernatural being called Satan or in demonic forces. And the tragedy of all this is, Paul says, that's who your enemy is. So if we don't even believe that our greatest enemy exists, you know, when I was a young man, and Patty, you might remember this, Patty Korzanowski, but over at our house, I experienced my first encounter with a demon when I was 16 years old, a demon in the life of a young man who, uh, who was in, really into LSD and had just been saved. And I saw 
a demonic manifestation. And you know what it did for my faith? It fired me up. Because you know what? I knew that Satan was real. And I knew that the demonic was real. You know what I also came to the realization of? Is that Jesus is just as real and that he has power over the enemy. Because I saw the power of Jesus' name to bring deliverance to a, a young man who had opened the door to the demonic through drugs. And you know what? Every, every teenager that sat on the other side of that door when they heard that demon talking back to me, you know what happened in their lives? Their, their little lukewarm, self-centered, I don't want to be here lives? Revival broke out in that room. Because all those church kids all of a sudden got a major eye-opening. You know what? If we saw of the power of the demonic in more lives and the power of deliverance. We see this at our encounter weekends and other places where we minister to people. But I'll tell you what, every young person and adult within the sound of my voice, when you understand that rebellion, drugs, sexual perversion uh, opens the door to demonic forces to come into your life and to mess with you, I'll tell you what, you would not want to go anywhere near those things. If we don't understand who our enemy is, we'll never take him seriously. And I'll tell you what, to not know your enemy is to set yourself up for major losing in life. We should be running from the schemes of the enemy and running from the open doors. So, first point, be prepared because there's a battle without and it's not against flesh and blood. I can't tell you how many times in marriage counseling we have to remind ourselves that our enemy is not our spouse. That our enemy is not the guy at work who's given us a hassle. That our enemy is not, you know, the person in the marketplace that's trying to rob us or whatever. That's not our enemy. We have demonic enemies that work through people. And my wife is not my enemy. My wife is my best friend. We don't agree all the time on things, but she is not my enemy. And if the devil can get you to think that people that love you, your church family and other people are your enemies, he's succeeded. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We wrestle a supernatural battle against a supernatural power. And if you don't have the tools to fight a supernatural power and the power of a supernatural Holy Spirit inside of you, we're going to lose. So we've got to know this. I also want to encourage us this morning. This is important. Um, many times when we read this passage on the armor of God, we apply it to ourselves only personally. Have you ever had any teaching on the armor of God you know, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, your loins girt about with truth, right? Feet shod with the gospel. And there's even teachings that say every day, go through and put, your, put on the armor of God. Now, again, I don't have any problem with that, but I just want to give you a whole different concept here this morning. Who's Paul writing to? Is this a devotional that he's produced for us to read? No, although you can use it devotionally, right? Who's he writing to? Is he writing to an individual or is he writing to a group of people? He's writing to not me, but we. So I want you to see this. We just got done talking about gifts, right? Your masterpiece. What was Ephesians 4? Fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, right? Here's what I'm trying to get you to see. When Paul tells us to put on the full armor of God, he's telling us to put on the corporate armor, which means this. I don't have it all and neither do you. Part of the armor of God comes in us being rightly related to each other. For instance, how about this? Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. 
isn't righteousness being in right standing with God and in right standing with? Okay, I'm just going to mess with you because we deal with this all week long. If I'm mistreating my wife, but I sing worship songs, have quiet time every morning, and come to church, am I, is there any open spots in me that are accessible to the enemy's attack? Yes. In fact, doesn't the Bible say this? God says, how can you say you love me when you can't love that woman who's sleeping in bed with you named your wife? Kind of just blows up all of our super spiritual hogwash. So if I, would, if I, have a, if I am living in unforgiveness towards Greg, because he's my brother, am I out walking in victory in Jesus, or do I, have, do I have weak spots that are vulnerable spots that are exposed because of my disobedience with my brother whom I can see? See, part of, the, part of the armor comes in our corporate righteousness, that we're rightly related to each other. You know, when the Bible talks about peace, it's not talking about the fact that you feel good, you know? I feel good. No, that's, that's great. I'm glad you feel good. But that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's talking about being rightly re- related in community where there's a corporate dimension of the peace of God that rests over the congregation. I mean, you know, you shouldn't come into a church and feel all kinds of tension and strife and chaos. That's a sign that the enemy has infiltrated the camp. But when you come to church and there's peace, there's relational harmony. How many of you know the enemy cannot come against us because of our unity? In fact, the picture I want you to see is not of one Roman soldier armed to the hilt, but I want you to see 500 Roman soldiers locked arm in arm, shield in shield, moving as one against the enemy. How many of you know that's so much more intimidating to the enemy than one? You know, I used to crack up years ago. Some of you remember the army came out with these wonderful commercials. Uh, the, you know, an army of one. They were appealing to the radical individuality of the American culture. How many of you know I would never want to fight an army or fight in an army of one? That would be bad. You know, there you go, Crown Point Bulldogs taking the field, one player against eleven. Yay! I hike the ball, I run with the ball, I do everything, I throw the ball to myself. You're going to lose, all right? You're going to be killed. Um, you don't want to go. And this is why I keep encouraging us too. I just saw somebody posted online that the average attendance for believers is a little over one Sunday a month. Church attendance. Average. This is Christian people. We're not talking about unchristian people. Christian people. One Sunday out of four. Can I just, can I just give you, Andy, if you bat one out of four in the major leagues, you're not going to be there long. Can I just tell you this? Part of your strength comes in being rightly related to the family of God. Because Paul's not giving you a personal devotion about how to put your armor on. He's trying to teach us how to move in the armor of Jesus as an army together. And all of us together are going to accomplish a whole lot more than any one of us by ourselves. So we need to get rid of this terrible individualism, selfishness, independence that's so much a part of the larger church in America. And we need to get back to being rightly related to one another. This is why Paul over and over again emphasizes the need for humility, for love, for forgiveness, for unity. This is part of our weapon. This is crazy. Imagine humility as part of a weapon. What a strange weapon. Peace as a weapon. Joy as a weapon. 
It's amazing how God's kingdom operates and what he, what he equips us with. I heard of some folks that were out ministering in a foreign country. They were handing out flyers and tracts and things, gospel tracts to witness to people, and the people were taking them and throwing them on the ground and walking on them and mocking them. And uh, they went and they said, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord said, the stronghold in this city is pride. So what is the weapon that you use to attack pride? Humility. They went out to the same corners where they were handing out tracts. They got on their knees and they just began to pray for the community on their faces in public. And then they got up and they began to simply try what they were doing. They said the atmosphere over that region shifted because they didn't try to change people's minds in their own strength. They humbled themselves and they said, God, we need supernatural, superhuman help to accomplish the task that you've called us to do. I love that story. So God's weapons are many times the very opposite of our weapons. If you notice, I'm not even equipped very well for battle this morning because my glasses just broke moments ago. So uh, anyway, you guys, anybody feel led to take up an offering for my glasses? That'd be great. All right, let me wrap this up. Third one is to be firm. Be firm. Now we're talking about winning in life. Look at what verse 13 says. Therefore... Oh, look at my brother. Hey, what an example of together we are strong, apart we are weak. Thank you. Oh, yeah. It's a whole new game. Come on. Therefore, the last therefore, verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, 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 after the time of evil, then after you've resisted the enemy, it says after the battle, you will still be standing. Can I just highlight a couple of things? If you're a Christian, you're going to have to resist the enemy. I had somebody one time, and this is what young believers often do. They'll come up to you and they'll say, Pastor, Pastor, I know I've committed the unforgivable sin. Any of you ever wonder about that? There's no grace for me. I've committed it. There's no hope for me. I tried, I fell, I tried, I fell, I tried, I fell. I kept wrestling, but I can't seem to get the victory. Anybody ever been there? And I said, what are you doing? I, I'm wrestling. I'm trying. I, I said, what are you doing? I'm wrestling. I'm trying. I said, you have not committed the unforgivable sin because you're still wrestling and you're still trying. And people that have turned their back on God don't wrestle and they don't try. The point is you're just under attack. And you're learning how to master the enemy and how to walk in victory instead of walking in defeat. But you still belong to God because you, the reason you belong to God is you're still fighting. But can I just tell you, if you're breathing here today, you are going to have to put on armor because there is a resistance that has to happen to the enemy. And we all know that we're going to leave here, and as soon as we walk out of these doors, we will face resistance from the enemy. I want to also to remind you there will be a time of evil. We live in a broken world. We're not home yet. You're going to face evil. It will happen. Here's what I want to drive home. I'm closing here. After the battle, what is the goal? What should be happening? You're still doing what? You're still standing. Can I just tell you, I love being a part of the local church because we don't have to experience and gain wisdom in isolation. In other words, if I watch Ed and Chris experience their time of where they're resisting the enemy, their time of evil, and after the battle, they're still standing. Guess what that does to me? My faith is encouraged and inspired by their stance. 
Some of you, I'm looking out there, I know lots of stories. When together we walk through something and you're still standing after the battle, it builds strength in the rest of us. I love that scene. Of course, if any of you know, my favorite movie is The Patriot. Mm. I love that movie. And when the ranks break and, and the troops are running away, then you remember that scene when Mel Gibson, come on, Brent. Mel Gibson grabs that tattered flag. He's already lost two of his children in the war. And he grabs that flag and he starts running into the face of his own men who are running in retreat, running into the face of the enemy. Instantly, his men turn around and then they start running to the battle. I'm just telling you this. Oh, I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. We need people in the local church that will grab the standard of Jesus Christ and that will run into the face of the enemy and inspire confidence in other people. They don't run from the battle, they run to the battle. Because at the end of the day, this is so important, it's not who begins the fight, it's who's left standing. When you look around on the battlefield, are you going to finish well? Or are you a quitter? Don't be a quitter. And the reason God puts you in a church family is to surround you with courage because it's easy. When you get hit, and man, some of you have lost children. Some of you are people battling serious health situations. Some of you have been in terrible marriages. There's been a bad divorce. and There's been all kinds of stuff going on. I mean, the devil wants to knock the wind out of us. And get us just to say, I can't go on anymore. That's when you need to see somebody running towards you, waving that flag of victory, saying, come on, don't quit. Don't quit. Our goal is that we're all standing. In fact, the Lord says he's looking for perseverance. He's, he's looking for toughness. How about this? Is it going? He's looking for emotional resilience. You know, I've had talks with my, all my boys, especially these are sports-related because our kids play sports. And I've had talks like this. I know you just got your foot hurt or your legs you know, aching or you just took a hit or your finger got smashed. But there's 10 other guys out there right now fighting to win this game, and they need you in the game. So suck it up and run back out there and do your best. They wanted to retreat. In fact, here's the other thing I see all the time. Moms, don't ever do this. Don't ever run out on the field to see if the boo-boo is okay. I've had parents look at me when my kids have been hurt on the field, and they look at me like, aren't you going to do something? I, I am. I'm letting manhood emerge. It's not that I don't care. It's not that if it's serious, I'm not going to, I'll be the first one diving over the fence if it's serious. But I know differences, all right? And you have to discern that. I know this is what's going on. And what you're saying is get up. Go back out there. And here's the, here's the lesson. That's just a stupid game. But life is going to hit you like this. Where do you learn to get up after you've been knocked down? My favorite scene in The Passion of Christ. It's, it's the worst scene to watch. In fact, that's one movie I've only watched one time. Because it's, I, I don't know that I would call that watching that movie for enjoyment purposes. There's no enjoyment in it. It's terrible. But the scene that has been forever burned in my mind is when they are scourging Jesus with those whips. You're watching his flesh literally be ripped off his bones. He collapses to the ground. He's laying there with his hands chained to that post. 
and he stands to his feet. Ah. I know that's Hollywood, but how many of you know it's more than Hollywood because it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. After that beating, he carried the cross we deserved, and he carried it right up that hill, and he was nailed to it. There's something about the manhood of Jesus that inspires me not to quit, and that life is hard. My dad's famous saying, when any, don't ever say in front of my dad, ever, when you see him on the next side, don't ever say this, but pastor, that's so hard. Because anybody who's been around, you know what he'd tell you, right? It was hard hanging on a cross. That was hard. What you're going through, not so hard. That was hard. It's hard hanging on a cross. I can follow somebody who practices what they preach. And I'm just telling you, you know what? This place is not a place for quitters. This place, I'm saying it prophetically, church be strong. Can I just tell you? We haven't begun to see yet what I believe is some of the opposition and some of the resistance that's going to come in our own country if we don't experience crazy revival in this country. But I'm telling you, if you're persecuted for speaking the truth, speak it anyway. If you get fired for standing up for righteousness, get a new job. Take it. Take it like a man. But don't throw away your conviction. Don't throw away your passion for God. Don't throw away for, for the joy set before you and everything that's waiting for the hero's welcome that every one of us is going to receive. Don't you dare throw in the towel because you're being persecuted at church because you got or at school, you got peer pressure, you got whatever. So what? Who cares? Be standing after the evil day. After the battle's over, you're still standing. That's what God's looking for. And I'm just telling you, you can't do it. In the power of the natural ability of human flesh, you need a superhuman endowment. You need dynamite on the inside, and that's what God has promised you. Stand to your feet with me. I want to pray for us today. <laughs> Hallelujah. My beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord always doing your best and doing more than is needed. Be continually aware that your labor, even to the point of exhaustion, in the Lord is never futile, it's not wasted, it's never without purpose. Father, we declare that to be true. I pray right now for supernatural empowerment in God's people right now. If you need some of that, lift both of your hands right now and just say, God, I'm asking you for help. I'm asking you for courage. I'm asking you for strength. Lord God Almighty, we're desperate for you. God, we want to move in the strength that you give. We want to be victorious in this life. God, victory over sin, victory over demonic attacks, victory over our own weakness and our own flesh. God, we want to move in holiness and in power. So, Lord, we cry out to you right now. Lord, you said be strong, and we say, Lord, help. You said, move in your power. We said, Lord, we need your Holy Spirit power. Come and touch us right now. Come and touch us right now. Lord, we just declare, as a church family, we've been made for more. We're going to be more. We're going to do more. We're going to love more. We're going to win more. We're going to be the church you've called us to be. And so God, help us as we leave here today. We're going out into our ministry field. Lord, help us love people. Help us serve people. Help us give. Help us be crazy generous with our lives. Lord, we want to see people set free. So thank you for the power 
of the Holy Spirit to help us set people free. Lord, we're believing for victory this week, and we also know that retaliation will come. So, Lord, we ask you, put a shield of protection around us. God, rebuke the enemy on our behalf. And, Lord, help us to never shrink back, never quit, never give up, never stop, never roll over, never throw in the towel. God, help us to finish strong. You said stand. When you've done all, stand. When you've fought, stand. When you've been assaulted, stand. When you've been knocked down, get up and keep standing, church. God, I pray that you give us that kind of supernatural ability. And Lord, may all of us be inspirations to everybody we come in contact with that's facing a trial or a challenge. Lord, may our lives inspire other people. For your glory, we pray this. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Hey, if you need personal ministry, don't leave here today. If you're far from God, come up, say, I need, a, I need prayer. If you're struggling with something in your life, you need breakthrough or freedom, our team will be up here, all right? And, and veterans, don't forget, 1230, we want to meet you, all the veterans, all right? Have a great week. We love you.